0: And then when we think about that from the perspective of yoga, we think of what does yoga mean? How does it translate? It translates into union. It's integration. It's balance. It's wholeness, right? So this idea of coming back to this sense of wholeness that I really am first starts with the acceptance and and the bringing in and the honoring of all parts of myself, all parts of myself. Not one, making one bad, awful, and wrong, and another one right and wonderful and praiseworthy. All parts of myself. And when I do that, once I do that, I can recognize the truth is, while all of those are a part of my experience, none of them are really who I am. None of them. But I can't get there until I accept and honor all the parts. Okay. And so this has been a part of. This has been the journey. This has been the journey toward healing.
1: Welcome to a curious yogi podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadhaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. All right, welcome back to the show. Last interview of the year, and holy smokes, are you in for a treat. Such a joy and honor to chat with this week's gracious guest, Nikki Myers. Nikki is an accomplished speaker, teacher, and practitioner, as well as (laughs) great-grandma. She is an NBA, a yoga therapist, a somatic experiencing practitioner, an addictions recovery specialist, and an Ayurvedic yoga specialist. And the founder of Y12SR, the yoga of 12-step recovery, which was born from her personal struggle with addiction and work with countless students. Y12SR is a relapse prevention program that weaves the art and science of yoga with the practical tools of 12-step programs using the theme of The Issues Live in the Tissues. Y-12-SR meetings are available internationally and the curriculum is rapidly becoming a feature of addiction recovery treatment centers. More than all else, Nikki is passionate and committed to the deepest levels of health and healing for all. Mm, So good. Nikki's work has been featured in the New York Times, Black Enterprise, the Huffington Post, Origin Magazine, CBS News, and countless podcasts. She is honored to be a co-founder of the annual Yoga Meditation and Recovery Conferences at Isolin Institute and Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. Nikki has been featured as a keynote speaker at the International Association of Yoga Therapists Conference, the International Conference on Integrative Medicine held at Harvard Medical School, and she was recently named a Yoga Journal Game Changer and is an honored recipient of the esteemed Nouveau Cultural Visionary Award. Wow, And I'll add to this impressive bio that she is humble, gracious, and incredibly wise as a spiritual teacher and just an overall extraordinary human and she's illuminated my own understanding and integration of the yogic principles in my personal healing and recovery work. Just such an inspiration on a personal level, this conversation is such a gem and I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed having it. Well, welcome to the show, Nikki. Welcome to Curious Yogi Podcast. Curious Yogi, I love that name. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly such a delight and honor to have you here with me. I've been taking your trainings and going to some of the Monday night meetings, and honestly, in my own recovery, you've just been such a beacon of light and inspiration. As like when I came into 12 Steps, I really like felt like a failed yogi, to be honest, and, and kind of a failed human. And it was like so confusing and humbling and extremely uncomfortable to go into 12 Steps after practicing yoga for so long. And Y12SR really helped me connect the dots that, yes, I'm still a yogi and deeply yes. spiritual and a wounded human that has to heal this unresolved pain, so like on a personal level, just really so much appreciation and admiration for what you do and what you've created and who you are
0: that makes me so happy to hear you, you know there are days when I wake up and I'm like, Why the hell am I doing this? What am I doing then 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 and then and you know, when the monkeys start going up here, right. Uh, and then I hear somebody like you just say what you just said. And, and so I'm like, okay, that's why, that's why, right. I keep doing this work. So, and I love people that come into this from the perspective that you did, right. Having practiced yoga for the, you know, however long it is that you practiced and then come to this recognition that, whatever this thing is, it's an obstacle to what's most important to me, right? And then like many others recognizing I can't quit. I just can't quit, right? And so having that support in order to make it to the other side of that, right? So that I can more skillfully reach what's most important to me, Right, it, it 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 just has been everything. It's been everything. So I'm so grateful you said that.
1: Yes, thank you. And yeah, I think that's like the amazing thing about Y Twelve S Y12S, Y Twelve S R is that people can come in from any side. It's so open and inclusive and welcoming. And I think that's something that sets it apart for me to the other twelve step meetings and groups that I'm a part of. It's like just for everyone. And I yes. love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. And that was part of the point of it. You know, I oftentimes talk about this in, in some of the trainings. What I've noticed in that circle, because it is universal, right? That that idea that it's for anyone and everyone dealing with their own addictive behavior or the addictive behavior of others, right? And I don't know who that leaves out, right? That means we're it's all over. I often say that's the best sentence I think I've ever written, right? <laughs> because there's no one who is excluded from that. And even if we're not the person who is directly dealing with the addictive behavior or or disorder or substance or whatever that is, we're definitely affected by it, even. You know, for not just families and loved ones and friends and all of that, but even from an economic perspective, this thing costs us as far as an economy, uh, for lack of better words, a shit ton, right, of resource and money and all of these things. We are all affected by this. And everyone can come into the rooms of vasar and be a part of the healing. Hmm,
1: I love that, and that's the yogi's journey too. So it's like totally, uh, immeshed and like perfect union. I just love that. So I want to just like go back a little bit because I know I could like get right into it. But <laughs> like this podcast really is for anybody that's on a spiritual path or curious about a spiritual way of life. And um, I've heard your personal story shared and the way you introduce yourself with such an awareness and also such like a joy in the way you e- express and introduce yourself and share your story. And I want to start by asking you to just speak to your spiritual journey that's brought you to this here and now, as you would say.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
1: I love that, right?
0: Because I think it does kind of that introduction, which, you know, I love to say I do anywhere that I'm really speaking publicly or wherever I am in in this mode. Of, of, of teaching and speaking and all that, I introduce myself the same way. Um, I just recently was a part of, of the Global Clinton Initiative. I've spoken at Harvard Medical School, right? I've spoken at huge conferences and all of those things and church basements and all the rest of those things as well. But wherever I am, I introduce myself the same way. And it's I'm Nikki. And I'm uh, an MBA. I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner, which is this trauma healing methodology developed by Dr. Peter Levine. I am um, uh, a yoga therapist. I'm the founder of Y12SR, right? All of those things, and, and the big three-letter word is and. I love that word and, right? And, and I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a cold dependent. I'm the survivor of both childhood and adult sexual trauma. I'm a love addict. I'm a recovering debtor spender. I'm a former commercial sex worker. And, right, I'm the mother of two living and one deceased child. I'm the grandmother of five. I'm the great-grandmother of six and seven eighths. I got one coming next week, a great-grandchild coming next week, which I'm so excited about. Right. So I'm, I'm this great grandmother. I'm, I'm uh, uh, a lover of all things, dogs. I am uh, a, a seeker, a spiritual seeker. I am, I am all of these things. And I love saying them all in the same sentence. I love saying all that in the same sentence. And it's that, and that is the connector of them. And I saved them all with the exact same gratitude and grace. All of them get the same gratitude and grace. And what I've discovered in this healing process for me and over the years, I know it's not just me because even through my own lived experience and working with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of others over the course of these years, I see how this is a a similar path, a healing path for many, right? And what, what I know is when I ignore or deny or suppress or repress any of those things, some part of myself, I make one part bad, awful and wrong and another part right and wonderful and praiseworthy. Then what happens is there's a split Inside, Because all of that's in here, all of that's here, right? And so it creates this split. There's a fissure actually in my being because there are all these parts and the parts never form into a whole. They can't because I've made one bad, awful and wrong and another right and wonderful and praiseworthy. And so they can't. And so it's only when I do this work of reintegrating all parts of myself, bringing them back, having this acceptance and honor, because all of them, no matter how they showed up, they were still all on Team Nikki, right? (laughs) They did what needed to be done at a certain point in my life that led to the survival to be here in this moment right now. How dare I not honor them? How dare I not bring them in? How dare I exclude them? What I've learned is that healing happens through inclusion. It's inclusion. I can't exclude any part of myself or else it starts coming out sideways, which is exactly what happened for me in the course of this thing. Things were coming out sideways and I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. And so it's been in this inclusion. It's been in this bringing in all parts of myself that um, that the healing begins to happen, that the healing begins to happen. You know, I almost talk about it. Sometimes there's this, it, I was saying this earlier the, to someone else, the older I get, the more it seems like my favorite movies are, are like Pixar cartoons. Right? <laughs> and there was this one, Like, for example, I can't wait for Avatar to come out next week. I can't wait. I can't (laughs) wait, right? Avatar is one of my favorite movies of all times. But the one I'm referring to here was one that came out several years ago from Pixar. It was called Inside Out, right? And in Inside Out, right, it was this, this depiction of how one part of the person was excluded, Right One part of the person was made bad off on wrong, right? And then that always comes out sideways. right It's still inclusion. And then when we think about that from the perspective of yoga, we think of what does yoga mean? How does it translate? It translates into union. It's integration, It's balance, it's wholeness, right? So this idea of coming back to this sense of wholeness that I really am, First starts with the acceptance and, and the bringing in and the honoring of all parts of myself, all parts of myself, not one making one bad, awful and wrong and another one right and wonderful and praiseworthy, all parts of myself. And when I do that, once I do that, I can recognize the truth is, while all of those are a part of my experience, none of them are really who I am. None of them, but I can't get there until I accept and honor all the parts, right? And so this has been a part of, this has been the journey. This has been the journey toward healing, right? And it's taken me through so much in in the course of the throes of addiction, right? And, you know, I think that little introduction describes without going into, you know, a depth of the commercial sex work, domestic violence, right? Early childhood and adult sexual trauma. All of those are a part of my experience. And I can honor that today as well. Not that I deserved any of that, right? But I can still honor the experience to the degree that I can support someone else who may be facing the same thing. That my container is big enough. But now I can support someone else who might be going through a similar thing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's so profound. When I did the leadership training, like every page I had the word AND in capital letters. It was totally like a mind blowing revelation, like. And, and like how you say, like holding both parts, and like that's what builds the capacity in the container, not only that's for it. our self healing, but then to be of service to others. And, and I just, I so love that. I love the way that you express that. And you're talking about, you know, your journey, how you, commercial sex worker, MBA, it's like these major swings in the pendulum of the human experience. Like, And how I love too how you said that you accept and honor both with that same grace and acceptance. It's so profound and beautiful. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering what your personal sadhana has been like, like, how do you practice what you've learned and teach and, and continue to teach like on a personal level?
0: I love that, Thank you for asking that and there's one more little piece before I answer that question. One more little piece I want to put in there from a yogic perspective, right because you know oftentimes uh I may not be necessarily talking to a group that that honors a yogic path or 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 knows really anything specifically about yoga but I always think about that whole thing that I just described relative to me is the divine mother has a thousand names has a thousand names and some of those names are quite fierce there's a fierceness to some of those aspects of who it is that the divine mother is right and That's the divine mother. All of those are a part of her, right? And that's the way that I think about the and in me. All of those are parts, pieces of who I am, right? So that I can show up in this confusing, binary plane of existence and still know that I am divine. I'm both human and divine right? And and so how do I hold that? How do I create the capacity to hold both the humanness in this? I can't bypass it, right? I can't bypass it. I got to hold both, That that's an and. And the practice is what supports me in expanding this capacity to hold both those things, Right. I always love that, that thing about Ganesh, right? The elephant headed uh, a deity. Right. And it said all everything's symbolic on, on Ganesh. But it said that Ganesh's big belly is so that Ganesh could hold opposites. Right. So that I could have the capacity to hold opposites. Right. And there are many opposites that we have to hold in this by in the matrix i call it the matrix we're in the matrix right and and there are many opposites that that we have to hold in that binary and the practice is what supports that for me so you know for me it's the from the yoga sutras, the abhyasa and viragya right it's it's right there right and and um Abhyasa is, is you know, oftentimes it's, it's described as practice, but per, the question becomes practice what? What is it that we're practicing, right? And I think that uh, that's described in Yoga Sutra 112 and the following one, Yoga Sutra 113, talks about practice from the perspective of what it is that supports us toward a uh, a peaceful flow of inner awareness? What is it that can support us toward this peaceful flow of inner awareness? And then the flip of that is vairagya. And vairagya, and please excuse my Sanskrit pronunciation, it's not great. I love the study, but my pronunciation is not great. But the word is described as as vairagya. I believe that's the way it's pronounced. And what that is, is refinement right? Um, it's also, you know, described sometimes as detachment. Detachment can be a little bit of a convoluted word, or, or I think for many, I like it described as refinement, right? And, and this is this idea for me of subtraction, of chipping away at everything that does not lead me toward a peaceful flow of inner awareness, right? Chipping away at at all of those things. So the idea of this whole thing for me is this expanding capacity, right? Like we were just talking about, building resilience and expanding capacity. So I love part, a big part of my practice, my daily practice is chanting, right? I'm big, big, big into, into this daily practice of chanting and then breath work, right? Right. Asana, pranayama, breath work. And, and, you know, the answer to what that practice looks like is it depends right we say this in the practice my teacher told me that's the answer to everything it depends right so it kind of depends on on what it it looks like but it usually always includes asana a little bit even if a little bit of asana pranayama and meditation it always includes some level of meditation For me and what I know, meditation is really the juice, right? That really is the juice, right? So my daily practice, and it could be from 15 minutes. This is like in Ayurveda. Ayurveda talks about Adinacharya, right? And Adinacharya are this, this kind of routine things that we do every day to support our structure, to support our being right and and it's kind of like and everyone in some way has one right we get up we brush our hair or brush our teeth comb our hair those kinds of things those daily things right so my thing has been cr- figuring out what are those daily things that are going to support my day and my being in such a way that it's going to support more of a peaceful flow of inner awareness, more of a peaceful, more space and more of a peaceful flow of inner awareness. So it includes in that practice, a little bit of asana, a little bit of pranayama, a little bit of meditation, and it usually always includes some chanting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> mm, I love it. it and, um, I have to ask you because I'm so inspired to hear that you love chanting and I've heard you in the past reference a couple times, the Vedic mantra from the Upanishads, Om Purnamada, Purnamidam. Yes. And honestly, I love it so much because my teacher in India had us sing that almost daily and it's a, a chant that I also really call on a lot. I'm wondering what's the, like, what's the significance to that specific prayer to you?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's an everyday one, right? That's that's an everyday one, right? It's from the Isha Upanishads. And usually when I'm teaching that, I start that out. It's in the the reference of teaching Sankhya, right? The, The whole Sankhya philosophy on which, you know, oftentimes you hear yoga called Sankhya yoga, right? So it's the philosophy from which yoga comes. And um, I'm I'm usually teaching that in in that reference. I usually show this picture of one of my great grandchildren. And it's such a beautiful and significant picture for me. I'm, I'm looking at this beautiful child and she's two hours old in this picture, two hours old. And I'm looking in her eyes and I'm going, this is wholeness, right? This is wholeness. This is a little piece of wholeness that's come from wholeness, right? And this is what that chant says, right? Anytime you hear poor non, poor not, any derivative of that, that word in the chant, it means wholeness or fullness or infinite. It translates that way, right? And, and I'm looking at this baby who in that state doesn't know boy, girl, she can't distinguish finger toes. She doesn't know boy, girl. She doesn't know black, white. None of those concepts are into her. Those are things that come in as we're programmed and taught in in this world. This is this little piece of wholeness that has come from wholeness. And that chant says wholeness from wholeness is wholeness. When wholeness comes from the whole, wholeness still remains. And that's beautiful. And that's hopeful, right? There's nothing broken. There's nothing really to fix. All of it's already there. We are already wholeness. We are a little piece of wholeness that has come from wholeness. Now, all this crap gets dumped on top of our wholeness, right? So it's difficult to find this wholeness that we are. We start getting, I watch her. She's now, her name's Peyton. And Peyton is now six years old, right? She's six years old. And I've watched, and I don't care what, you can be the most incredible parent in the world, right? The most incredible parent in the world, but we're in this binary matrix culture that we get programmed into, right? We definitely get, and, you know, we come in with some stuff, right? We got the vasanas, right? The scars get dumped on top of us, but, you know, we come in with some stuff. So, you know, all this programming though gets dumped on top of our, our wholeness. Peyton starts getting taught, you're a girl, and girls do this, girls do this. Girls don't do that, right? Boys do that, right? And there's, there's a gap in the wholeness, right? I thought I was whole, right? Now I'm telling me you can't do this, you can't do that because you're this and because you're that, right? And, you know, I've watched her become programmed into, into the wholeness. You get programmed into, well, if I just have this, then that's going to make me whole again. Right. And, you know, I watched her, she's like, I want this, this doll baby or whatever it is. Right. I want that. Now I want that. And now I want that because she's been programmed into, if I just get that, then, you know, maybe I'll be something different. Maybe I'll be, it's so funny. I I watched her, she she had this beautiful dollhouse and she had her father's business card in the dollhouse. And then she said, that's not a business card. That's a credit card. We need to go out (laughs) and go shopping, right? So she's been programmed into this commercialism Right. If I just take this little thing and go to this store, I'm going to get that. And then I'll feel better. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. We're all such a product of our environment. And we do like as soon as the eyes open up, we're in this dualistic, individualistic, extractive world. And we forget that we are already whole. We were We're never not whole but the separation comes in and i love this idea of recovery as remembering because because we don't have to get whole because when that's we right. remember om pornam we that's are right. already whole it's just that covering which like when i think of addiction and how you describe it as the disease of the lost self like that's right how isn't that kind of a part of being on this like human spectrum
0: yeah yeah it is right and what I love about that and from that definition that recovery is subtraction right it's subtraction it's this whole idea I always think about it and I talk about in the training as as what you, the story that's told around Michelangelo and the David right it said that Michelangelo saw this big block of stone and Michelangelo already saw David in the stone. And he said, my job is chipping away all that is not David, right? And I love that. That's our work. As far as I can see, we're already whole and complete. We've just had all this stuff dumped on top. So the job is subtraction. There's nothing to add. It's already all there. All we got to do is keep doing this chipping away and subtraction so we can get back to who it is that we innately are, the joy, the fulfillment, all of those things that are already innately there. We just got all this shit that's been put on top, right? So we got to do our work and, and, you know, chipping away at all that to come back to it is who it is we really are.
1: hmm yeah, and it's, like, interesting because we take on all this stuff. We get disconnected from our S with the capital S, our higher power. And then, but I've also heard you say, like, we have to, like, we can't heal what we can't see. So it's kind of like, right. it is this, like, process where we have to first, okay, acknowledge where we got lost, acknowledge where we got stuck, and then accept it, and then transcend it.
0: That's right. You can't heal what you don't acknowledge, right? Mm-hmm. We can't heal. It's, I don't know how it's possible to heal what we don't acknowledge, right? So the first part is acceptance, which is exactly what it teaches in the 12 steps, right? I assert that the 12 steps are brilliant. I mean, they're just brilliant. And you go back in history and you can see the connection between the 12-step program and some of the ancient philosophies, right? If you go back far enough, you can see that connection between them, right? And, And it really is step one having to do with the spiritual principle of acceptance, right? Accepting what is so that, And having this level of awareness that admitting what's true, then it opens up the possibility for something beyond that, for something way beyond it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna ask you actually because just this morning I was reading in the Yoga Sutras and I was reading about Ishvar Pranidhan and it's so similar to steps one, two, three, like surrendering and accepting and connecting to our higher power or the special being or the universal consciousness or love or whatever language we put on it. Like you said, there's a hundred names for it, but that's, that's right. That connection first, to then surrender, but like in this world I it's like such a fundamental part of yoga it's such a the first fundamental part of the steps but like where do you think that we get stuck in this western mindset in this world that we live in it's actually the hardest step for a lot of people in their healing to come to that surrender
0: yeah um I think it's in what we were speaking to before the binary right We have things set up that this is good, this is bad, right? And I'm going to do everything I can to avoid what I've labeled as bad, right? I don't want to be, you know, I've got, this is bad. I'm going to escape and run away, right? It's in the glaciers how we avoid you know, certain piece of it. And the other, if, if, it, if it's not something I avoid, the opposite of that, right? I'm going to cling to it. I'm going to try and get more. I want more and all that. So it's caught up in, I, I would again assert that it's caught up in that binary, right? Of avoidance or the other piece of that is I want the more, I want more and more and more. This makes me feel good. This makes, it's pleasant, all of that kind of stuff. So I must need more. I want more and more and more and more. Or else I get caught up in this makes me feel bad or this makes me feel this way or that way, right? And I'm going to avoid that. Well, with either one of those either one can get super problematic, right? We can't find the middle, right? We talk so much about in our work, it is really in finding the middle, right? And the middle is the place between too much and not enough. The middle is that place right there where I got access to the, we talk about that in the yoga practice, right? We talk about finding your edge, right? What is that middle place, even as we work in posture on on the mat, that middle place is where I have access to the wisdom to know the difference. Right, it's where there's space enough, where I have access to choice. What is the 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 next good, right, honest thing for me to do in this next moment? This is where I have choice, right? And we convolute that choice. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it's like, there's like something that gets stuck. I think I know for me, I got stuck a lot um, with, you know, this concept of right and wrong. But also there's kind of like, like a fear that comes up before like, accepting or like having this higher power, and, and sort of surrendering, it almost feels like free will, even though it's not, we still have our free will, and we can surrender to the divine. But like, where do people, where do folks get stuck on like practicing that principle?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, my, one of my teachers told me, you know, and fear itself, right, is, is in the kleshas, right? It really is all in the, cl- you know, I often talk about that, that model from the, the yoga sutras that starts really about um, in the, in the sadhana so, part of two or chapter two of the Yoga Sutras, it starts almost real close to the beginning, around two four, and it starts describing these things that are known as as the kleshas, right? And and that root klesha there, which is avidya, right? And uh, avidya often translated as ignorance, but it's not ignorance like. Commonly, we may think of of ignorance. It's that piece that says, "You know, I don't even know what I don't know." To recognize that this is a limited lens that we often look through, right? And and when I think my lens is the lens, then I start I start getting confused because there's a, a much bigger lens, right, to look through, and. A, a vidya really at his heart means um, uh, misinterpreted or miss that I ultimately I forget who it is that I really am, that I have a false understanding. That's the, the words I often use, a false understanding. And I forget who it is. And it's that whole thing right i forget that i'm really in this matrix and i've been programmed and all of those kinds of things so much so that i forget who it is that that i really am and then the kleshas describe four branches off from it and one of them is fear right and it's this this fear of oftentimes it's described as a fear of death but the thought with this one is, is if I fear death, how do I truly live life? Right? How am I in the flow of life? If, 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 if wherever I am, I'm in this fear of death. And I always love to describe this one is the way I, you know, one of my teachers at one point d- described it. And what he said was, why can't you just stop and be in the flow of life? Right. And I think that's just such a beautiful sentiment because I don't, I'm too busy trying to control it. I'm too busy trying to manipulate it. I'm too busy trying to do all those things, right? Now, there there are definitely things that I can influence. The yogis say we got three things that we can work with. Those are our thoughts, our speech, and our actions, right? can't work with yours, your thoughts, your speech, the only thing that I got to work with are my thoughts, my speech, and my actions, right? Those I can influence, those I can work with, right? But when I'm in this place, and I love this because it matches very much with the, what the founders of the 12-step program, Dr. Bob and Bill W., right? What they said about the root, of the problem of addiction. And I mean addiction of any kind, right? The root of the problem with addiction is what they call stinking thinking, right? And and stinking thinking really is this avidya in that we've forgotten who it is that we really are. It's rooted within that same thing, right? So when this teacher was saying, why don't you just stop? and be a part of the flow of life. He's reminding us that we can't control life, that life is bigger (laughs) than, (laughs) than, than us and it's not something that we can control, right? And Dr. Bob and Bill W. say that really the root of the problem of addiction is this delusion of control. This delu- And they describe it as just that, it's a delusion, right? A delusion of control, right? And I love that, you know, the founders of the 12-step program and Patanjali really are saying the same thing. And, you know, it's almost like the founders of the 12-step program took this in order to look at it with this problematic thing that was affecting many people, this problematic thing of alcoholism, that's where it started, of alcoholism that was affecting many people. And if you extrapolate that, I would assert that Patanjali is saying that this is the human condition. This is part of the human condition. And when we think about it that way, Problems, systemic problems like racism, systemic problems like sexism, systemic problems like the kind of control that I know we've seen in the United States over the course of like the last few years has just been in our face, right? To the point that kids were locked up in cages and, you know, all of those kinds of things that that too if, if you think about it at its root you know the root of it is this delusion of control right but of cross both individual
1: and humanity
0: right this delusion of control
1: mm, i love that was so long
0: winded that was long winded but
1: <laughs> no but i love so much that you touched on that because i think too when i went into the 12 steps it was The like recognition of that delusion of control. And I know in a lot of yogic thought, there's like this grand disillusionment that happens, which sort of catapults the seeker onto the path. And I think it's the same, you know, with addiction, people have to come to that point of on their knees surrender where there's that grand kind of recognition that I'm not in control and that kind of cuts the fear because it's like okay what who's who's run who's steering the or sailing the boat here,
0: yeah, 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 yeah,
1: and that's part of the we we
0: were speaking earlier about Ishvara pramhana, right, right that piece, right, where there is this piece, and again, my teacher uses this word, one of my teachers uses this word in front of surrender. Because surrender can be convoluted too, right? When people think surrender, you know, it, it, it's kind of like when people think weakness, right? They, when you think of surrender, you think of weakness. And, you know, no one wants to say weak or any of those kinds of things. So my teacher uses this word or one of them and uses this word in front of surrender. They always say trustful surrender. And I love that, Right is the sense of trustful su- surrender where I know that I can let go, right? And, and, and like we talk about on the mat and the way that that feels in your body, if you wanna know what trustful surrender is, trustful surrender is the feeling you get in shavasana, that good, sweet shavasana where you just let go, right? And I tell people all the time, if it doesn't, if that's not the felt sense, then I question whether that's really surrender, right? Mm -hmm. It might be something that I'm calling surrender, but unless it feels like that, right, that surrender where I I allow myself to be held, right, where I allow that to be, and I let go, I let go right? That's trustful surrender, right? That's what I know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also like, you know, when we think of how maybe recovery or that trustful surrender is perceived by some, maybe who are on X outside looking in, like weakness could be perceived, but actually when you, when you express it like that, it's like, wow, it takes so much courage and so much strength and like power from within to come to trustful surrender especially mm-hmm. when you you're you've been imprinted and your nervous system has been developed in a way to resist that and wow and it makes you look at anybody that's on the path of recovery and just like applaud and oh like, my
0: god you bow you <laughs> yeah. bow you just bow
1: right yeah you just bow down yes mm-hmm. And before you were talking about, you know, how we are kind of in this world where we're faced with so many issues and addiction really lives on this kind of a spectrum. And for some, it might be perceived as like, oh, you know, you're the addict is the one that's on the street or, you know, as the sex worker, but we really see like addiction crosses all races, all socioeconomic classes, like it really affects us all. Like, is that kind of diminishing, like true addiction when we really say like, we're all affected by addiction on a spectrum, you know, like look at your own life. Like, is it your phone? Is it your work? Is it shopping? Right. Like there's there's things that are maybe more socially accepted somehow. Right, right. absolutely.
0: And, and I would assert if that we're really going to heal addiction, we have to get to that level to recognize in some ways, looking at it, that the, the way that I love to describe it, At some level, we're all addicted to the way we process our reality. We're all addicted to this lens that we may look through, right? And I would assert until that that is really a recognition that the healing, the depth level of the healing is working with this thing about the addiction to way we process our reality, right? That if we're really going to heal addiction at a big level, right, at a global level, that that's what we need to pay attention to, right? And so that's the collective, that's the we, right? There's also the individual, right? And while those same principles apply, there's some things that may be present at the level of the individually that may be more urgent to take care of, right, right? the opioid addiction. I got to deal with what's present there first before I can get to that. I got to chip away there first, right? Do that level of chipping away before I can go any any further into some of these deeper levels. And I assert that's why the 12 steps are set up the way that they are. It's like the first six, even probably into the first six steps, are really directed at the I, they're directed at the individual, right? Doing work at that individual level. But once you get to step six, as you move from step six to 12, the focus changes. It becomes we, the I has to become we, it has to get bigger to become we. I've seen so many people get stuck in 12 step works because they don't, cross that bridge between the I and the we. And if you don't cross that bridge, there's a chasm (laughs) underneath it. This is places where I know I did. My story includes relapse. And the relapse happened right there, right? In that crossing, that bridge that crosses from the I to the we. And if you don't make that leap from the I to the we, my metaphor, my way of looking at it is you, you start to become so navel gazing, so into the eye itself that you dry up, like you just dry up like a, a grape. I mean, like a raise, become a raisin, right? On a, you just dry up, right? You've got to make, we've got to make that from that, that, that jump where the eye becomes the we right mm-hmm. and then we can look at some of these more collective issues that are at the root of of, of addiction the mm-hmm. collective addictions themselves
1: mm-hmm. that reminds me of like what you say too at the end of all the meetings and everything is we keep what we get by giving it away how much uh of an inter- integral part the being of service is to the receiving the the healing it's That's this right. real give and take and Even in like so many yoga scriptures or spiritual scriptures, like service and charity and community is like a a part of it because otherwise we're we be we come back to this selfish kind of place of this is my work and here I am all alone doing it and then we're kind of missing the the bigger point where we want to live in that that vision of oneness that real state of unity doesn't just include union with myself well if if you and everybody else has the same light behind their eyes that means we're all one so we heal ourselves we heal the community but begins here but it doesn't end there but it goes there
0: that's right I always think about this the the massive volume of the Vedas, right? Which is a ginormous set of texts, the massive volumes. But the first one starts with ignite the the fire within, right? It starts out in in that eye. And then you get to the last one, which says, now that you've lit that, you gotta take it out into the world, right? It can't just stay with. It, it won't stay alive within you. Just within you, you have to take that out, right? It has to become a part of the we, right? And you know, and like I say before, the other thing we often say at the end of of Y Twelve S R meetings is that recovery. And this is one of those kinds of things that no one can do for you. We all have to do our own individual work and and there's that and again and you can't do this one alone right that we really we do this in community we do this work and this healing in community and I love that
1: Hmm. I love it too and it kind of actually brings me to my next question which like my next question is about codependency because I know for me as someone that's a recovering codependent, someone who's compassionate by nature, who wants to share what I've been learning and giving, how, you know, like I did your workshop compassionate or codependent, which like (laughs) when I kind of started on this journey, it was such a good point of reflection for someone in a helping profession who loves to help, but how, you know, how, how we get stuck. The line is so fine when one is on a path of recovery, which we all are. But can you just like touch on that fine line a little bit and how we can know the difference?
0: Yes, it is a fine line. And this is one of the things for me that's so important in the healing work is to come back to the body. Really all, you know, there's the kosher model, which is all often talked of as five bodies. They're not really bodies, they're layers, right? And really they're all the same thing, right? But truthfully, when we think about the the internal sense of how we feel, that whole idea of felt sense, right? And working in that way on the mat at the level of the physical working with breath at the level of energy, working with mind and chanting and scripture and the kinds of things we study, looking at the big book, all of those kinds of things. Working with character and intention and psycho-emotional states and heart, right? Not the blood pump, but the heart that is the seed of spirit of love and joy and intimacy and devotion. Right, and using that in that way and doing the practices is how I can begin to recognize what homeostasis, right, what balance, what integration feels like and really is within this being, what, what it means, the felt sense of homeostasis. And homeostasis isn't static, right? It shifts, it moves, it moves, it changes. However, no matter how it shifts or moves or changes, there's still a felt sense of balance of integration, right? And that's how I know. So where I often know that I've, I've strayed into codependence versus compassion is a a, a way that I can feel it in my whole being, right? Compassion feels uplifting, right? It feels inclusive. It feels, um, uh, it feels from a sense of balance. Codependence has a tendency to feel heavy or anxious. It feels either one way, <laughs> one way or or the other, right? And that's how I can begin to know I'm strained from compassion and into codependence. Codependence can feel heavy. We start that little workshop off with those two pictures, right? And one picture is of a a person who is literally carrying an elephant on their shoulders, right? They're trying to carry the elephant, right? And that's got to feel heavy. And it's got to feel unsustainable. You can't do that for very long, right? It can't be sustainable. And the other picture in opposition to that, there's an elephant that's in the water and it looks to be like they they may be stuck and can't get out. And there's a young woman in front of, of, of the elephant just being with that particular in that circumstances being with and holding and and acknowledging and prayer, letting them know I'm here with you right and it's just so starkly different to watch the energies and know the energies between those two things and to look at that and know from that level of felt sense oh this one's compassion this one's codependent Right. (laughs) And just to know that I can begin to feel that when I stray and when I cross that line and when I have the awareness of that. Right. Then I can use tools. Right. I can use things to bring me back to that home in that place of homeostasis. Again, we said this earlier. This is where I have access to the wisdom to know the difference. Right. When I'm there. Oftentimes, I don't have access to the wisdom to know that this is a place where I can find access to what's the next good, right, honest thing to do in this situation. What's next, right? Can't change what is. What I can work with is what's next. I accept what is. So from that clear space, I can make a conscious choice into what's next
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great answer would you say that that's like the importance of being on the mat having the somatic embodied experience of cultivating the awareness of what my body is saying like i haven't read this book but it's the best title when the body says no by gabor mate it's on my book list but i just love the name like to to build that capacity to Hear what we when we're when we're when we're not on the right track, whether it's codependent or compassion or any right. of the other ways that we swing. Like, is that's why we come to the pranayam also. Exactly, in, in that.
0: exactly, exactly, and that's what often we look to do, particularly in the 12 our practices, right? there are all the reason for working the steps in the 12 step programs, really at its heart is to embody the spiritual principles that sit underneath the steps and all the steps, right? There's spiritual principles that sit underneath them. So in step one is acceptance and awareness all of those kinds. So you hone what it feels like in my body when I'm really in acceptance, right? So then I can't bullshit myself, right? Because I know what acceptance feels like, right? And when it's not that, I can say, okay, you know, I need to do a little bit more stuff relative. I haven't really accepted this, right? Yet. At this point, so there's a little more work into this acceptance piece before I can move forward into, and all the steps have those spiritual principles to sit underneath them, right? Surrender is one. And like we said, Shavasana is the felt sense of surrender. And if I don't feel, not feel like Shavasana, it ain't surrender, right? Humility is one, right? Integrity is a big one recognizing when I'm out of integrity with myself, right? That's been part of, I recognize that when I relapse, I relapsed when I was out of integrity with myself, right? When there was this war that was going on and it was so painful inside, I needed relief from that, right? And Drugs or alcohol or Nordstrom's, I often say how, you know, I've been in an addictive relationship with Nordstrom's, I go get that bag, right, or those shoes, because I think that's going to take away the pain, (laughs) right, right, but integrity, so we look to begin to be able to really know the felt sense of those spiritual principles when I'm in balance. So that I can recognize when I'm out of balance and I can use some practices, some pranayama, some tools, call somebody, get some help, reach out as a way to bring myself back in balance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And like, I mean, I, I was going to ask you next, but I have a feeling I'll know what you said. It will say like how to know what what principle, what piece of the puzzle to focus on, but I have a feeling you'd say, well it depends. You know that I'm gonna say that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well
0: and the answer really is it depends, right? And it depends on many things, right? One of the things I'll talk about over and over again is context matters. Context really matters, right? It matters what the context is around it. Right, it's just there. There are lots of factors that go into, you know, what I love to do is have a ton of tools in my back pocket. Right, I got tools in in my back pocket. Right, so that in any moment I can begin to assess what's going on with me, and hopefully use one of those tools to begin to at least my key tool, my big tool is what we often do at the beginning of the practice. We do it at the beginning of the y meeting. It's find the middle, right? Find the middle, right? And the, the middle is the place where it's really described in Yoga Sutra 246, right? Is the middle is a place where I can find and tap into a sense of stability, right? A sense of foundation in my being. And then once I tap into that, Invite in a sense of ease. So it's the stita sukha, right? It's that stita sukha, And when I'm there, invite in breath, right? That breath that brings me back to a calm, abiding nervous system. And then I've got some space. And then I can begin to access. I'm in that space where it's possible to ascertain in that moment. What's the, what well, I'm in that space that lets me decide the wisdom to know the difference for me, right? What is, you know, what what's next in order to do that? So that's a key tool for me, right? Recognizing when I'm out of balance, using a little work to come back into a state of balance where I can figure out, right? I'm not off to the races as we talk about in the program, right? Right, I'm in a place where, I can choose the next pathway. I can choose the next thing to do. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think that's a a beautiful, totally relative point and practice that every single human on this planet could really benefit from and take from. So I think it's a beautiful place to wind up. I know you're so busy, but I always love to ask, my guests at the end of the show and i mean this episode is totally packed with tons of wisdom already uh, you're just so brilliant um but i'd like to ask the guests if you could leave any final words of wisdom for the curious yogis listening what what would you leave us with
0: wow what a question um, you know Uh, for me, it's just this sense, we talk about this in 12-step program, is that idea of keep coming back, right? We keep coming back, right? I know that I'm going to stray, right? Well, oftentimes there's this reading that's in um, uh, one of the 12-step literature books. It's a beautiful little book called Courage to Change. And it talks about how the automatic pilot on an airplane really doesn't stay on course 100% of the time. That what it's doing is is really adjusting for its variation, right? It may move off to one side, it may move off to the other and its work is doing this adjustment to come back to the middle, to come back to the assigned course. It even goes as far to say that 90 or 95% of the time that the airplane is off course, that its work is correcting for the deviation, corrected for the deviation, right? And that's us too, right? We may be a little off course. I may not have eaten well or whatever it is. And so this five body multidimensional system may be a little off course because it's not fueled correctly or in some way. Or, you know, it may be something else in some way. It may be even some deeper, more th- deeper things, right? But the idea from from that little metaphor is that I can keep coming back, right? I can keep coming back to that place where I'm on course, knowing that it's not about perfection, that I'm not always going to be on course, right? That my work is to keep coming back right, I just keep coming back, I just keep coming back, right, and and as I do that, that gives me a, a, a different sense of hope, a different sense of perspective, a different sense of I can keep coming back to this middle place where there is some homeostasis, right, and so I would lead people with that to keep coming back, right.
1: Beautiful, <laughs> I love it, it's such a perfect point to finish on, and yeah, I just really want to appreciate you and acknowledge you for taking the time to have this conversation. And it's like totally serendipitous timing because tonight I'm actually hosting my first Y12SR L- Y12 twelve meeting. So I I,
0: I'm going to- I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. And I want to acknowledge you, right? I, I, I want to do the same. I really want to acknowledge you, Right. And and just the 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 spirit and what you bring to this work and and the depth of yogic knowledge that you carry into this and bring it forth into the world and and just who you are in in following you know the dharma, right? Right. That this is the dharma, and dharma is what uplifts the universe, right? So coming back to those things that uplift all of us in your own being and I want to acknowledge that I see it I see you and I see that and I, I definitely want to acknowledge it
1: oh thank you so much Nikki it means a lot really just lots, so much love and appreciation and I feel a sense of oneness with you also so really thank you
0: you're so welcome
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of A Curious Yogi Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love, and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off. Until next time.